Today's scripture reading is from Amos chapter 5, verses 4 to 24, which can be found on page 908 of the Pew Bibles. That's Amos chapter 5, verses 4 to 24. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Bathsheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep you through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You who hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth, you trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. It's my great pleasure this morning, God, to invite up our guest preacher, uh, Marilyn. Marilyn Draper is with us today. She's a professor of practical theology at Tyndale, a church planter, and as well as many other things, but that's just the little highlight reel. Marilyn, we're so grateful to have you with us today, preaching from Amos. And church, let's pray for her and welcome her as she brings God's word. Father God, uh, bless your servants. Thank you that you have anointed her for this pulpit and this day. 
uh, we are ready to receive from you, God. Amen. Thanks, Ashley. What a privilege to be with you this morning. Things are not what they seem. The year is 762 BC in the Northern Territory of Israel. The times are marked by economic growth, territorial expansion, and military resurgence. But things are not what they seem. Economic growth is fueled by exploitation of the poor. Territorial expansion leads to benefits only for the rich and the powerful. Military resurgence points to growing violence. Religious activity abounds. The worship centers fill regularly with worshipers singing and offering sacrifices. Because stability and prosperity exist for so many, the assumption is God is blessing us. The feeling is God is showing us his approval because of all these good things he is giving us to enjoy. But in fact, things are not what they seem. God's law is disregarded. Political and judicial systems have become corrupt. Life is characterized in business by greed and power, and God has been forgotten in the midst of the enjoyment of things and pleasure. So on the surface, people enjoy luxury and ease, but under the surface, there's this ever-widening gap between those who have and those who have not. And behind the scenes, whole groups of people are being ignored. Widows, single mothers, the disabled, the outsiders. People are vulnerable, and there's a marked increase in poverty, human trafficking, sexual abuse, and slavery. There's a lack of generosity. Spirituality abounds, but religious experiences do not indicate that people have actually encountered the living God. In the middle of this scene emerges Amos, a prophet. When we think of prophets, we often think of old men with wild hair and wild eyes, dressed in robes, yelling about doom and gloom. In glee, we think these prophets point the finger at us, trying to manipulate us to feel guilty. By angrily shouting at us that we need to change, they tell us God's out to get us. But once again, things are not what they seem. Because here we have Amos, a small business owner, an agriculturalist. He's speaking to us not with shouts and with angry fists, but he speaks to us in pictures 
and in poetry, in a quiet whisper, with a catch in his voice, and perhaps a tear in his eye. Amos pleads and he calls. He wants the people and he wants us to see God for who God is, the God of righteousness, the God of justice, the God who works in goodness and generosity and grace. Amos reminds us that there is hope. God longs to bring transformation and new life into our midst. And so we need to pay more attention to Amos because his message is not only a message for Israel in another era, but Amos provides words of challenge and encouragement for us here today in 2019. When we read Amos' words, we realize that in many ways he's describing the city of Toronto and the world in which we currently live. He suggests that change is for the better. And that's possible because God is active in the world. So today we're invited to open our eyes and open our ears so that we might discover that things are not what they seem, but that God's vision is for a world where righteousness leads to ongoing justice for all people. Let's pray. Lord God, thousands of years ago, you presented Amos with words and visions so that he could challenge the people of Israel to turn to you, to experience grace and to join you in your vision for the coming kingdom. Time and again throughout history, your people have wandered and you have sent your messengers to confront us. Fortunately, you've also sent Jesus, God in flesh, to enable us to start afresh, and you've sent your spirit to empower us. So Lord God, I pray that today you will grant us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might participate in your life and in your mission as you bring transformation to the world. Amen. I wish that we could cover all of Amos this morning but we only have time to glance at a few of the highlights, and we'll focus mainly on chapter five, which was read for you this morning. It's right in the middle of the book. Now, Amos is an interesting book. He doesn't write a continuous story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. He offers us little bits and pieces. There's a word of warning here. There's a poem, a vision there. One commentator suggests that Amos didn't leave us a sermon. He left us only his notes. So this morning, we're going to unpack four of those notes over the next few minutes. First, Amos calls us to reality. Second, Amos calls us to repentance. Third, Amos calls us to renewal. And fourth, Amos calls us to reorientation. So number one, 
We are called to reality. Largely, as a nation, we are experiencing the good life, especially in comparison to many other parts of the world. We're experiencing peace, protection, and God's blessing. But Amos calls us to look again, to take a fresh look at our lives and a fresh look at our God. And sometimes the best way to take a fresh look is actually by using our ears. And so Amos calls us to listen, to listen to God's voice. The book of Amos, chapter 1, verse 2, begins by calling our attention to who God is. He calls God the Lord, Yahweh, the God who is the I Am, the God who exists here and now. And then Amos gives us a word picture. The Lord roars from Zion. In other words, the Lord is like a roaring lion. A lion's roar demands attention. Did you know that a lion's roar can be heard eight kilometers away? So obviously, a lion does not roar when it is hunting. If it roared, it would scare away its prey. If it's about to attack, it is silent. Rather, the roar of the lion is for the purpose of communication. Communication largely with its own family, the pride in which it lives. And there's several reasons for a lion to roar. A lion roars for locating purposes, so the rest of the pride will know where that lion is in order to gather and come together. A lion roars to avoid conflict by announcing to other predators or other creatures, we are here and this is our territory. A lion will roar to solve conflicts within its own pride. If two lions are having a bit of a spat, one or two lions will roar at them to say, stop, we don't want to hurt anybody within the family. And lions will roar when things are out of place. When things are not the way they're supposed to be, a lion will roar to say, pay attention, something isn't right. And so when Amos starts his prophecy with a roaring lion, these are all the things that he has in mind. He's not telling us that God's out to get us and God is ready to attack. Rather, he's telling us that God is roaring to communicate with us, to telling us that he is here and he has been listening to the voices of the oppressed and the hurting and the needy. And so the Lord is roaring to remind his family that it's time to return and come together. God is roaring to express a concern that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. So God roars to encourage us to listen and take notice. And then in chapters 1 and 2, Amos provides a series of descriptions to cause the people to stop and look at how messed up the world is. And he lists the shortcomings of the six neighboring states around Israel. Damascus, what we think of as Syria, 
Gaza, Tyre, Ammon, and Moab. See how those states all surround and Israel's in the middle. And Amos highlights their mistreatment of one another, their hatred, their violence, their vengeance, how they have disregarded covenant relationships, how they have mistreated whole communities, killing innocent pregnant women, selling people into slavery. All their behaviors show a lack of respect for humans and a lack of value for human life. And the people of Israel listen to Amos and they nod in agreement. They know that people from other countries are not to be trusted, so they think. Those people are the other. They're different. Then there's the seventh description, and that lists the sins of Judah, the sister state of Israel. Judah, Amos says, Judah has walked away from God. But even here, the people are nodding in agreement. Yeah, we knew it was a good thing to pull away from Judah. We knew that they weren't behaving the way that they should. The people of Israel are smug, even arrogant in these attitudes. And they think as they listen to Amos, hey, we've got good reasons for thinking about our superiority. The number of seven, there have been seven prophecies, seven discussions, seven is the number of completeness. Hey, God's criticized everyone. We're good. We're okay. God must be pleased with us. However, Amos does a surprising move. He doesn't stop at seven. He goes on to eight. And he says, wake up, Israel. You're not off the hook. And he begins to list the sins of Israel. And that list is much longer than all the other lists of all the other surrounding nations. The self-satisfaction and the smugness of the people has no place in foundation. On the surface, everything looks good, but underneath, things are not what they seem. And so Amos lists Israel's shortcomings. No justice, the poor are trampled, the afflicted are pushed to the side. There's sexual abuse, corruption, and shady business deals. They're taking bribes, charging too much interest. The list goes on and on and on. Things are not what they seem. Would it be better if I just used the pulpit mic? Is there a, an echo? Would that be better if I switched or? It's okay. So things are not what they seem, and so God roars to tell the people where he is. And the roar reminds them that they are the people of Yahweh. And in chapters 3 and 4, Amos reflects on how Yahweh chose and cared for his people. And the Lord has said the message is subtle and not so subtle, to caution and correct. There were times of rain, but the people didn't stop to thank God for the rain because they felt dissatisfied. There were times without rain, but the people didn't look to God for help. There were times of violent attack, but the people didn't thank God because he spared them. Amos says the Lord never forces his people to follow. He always allows choice. And yet the Lord continues to call out to a show care, waiting for people 
to pay attention, to ask for help, to accept his invitation for relationship. Throughout chapters three and four, Amos reminds the people, you refuse to respond to God time and again. And so the lion roars. God roars to tell his people, hey, I'm still here. He wants them to be aware that their actions have consequences. And so God says, now I'm going to tell you what some of those consequences might be. God roars to wake his people up to their reality. Are we like the people of Israel? We look to our neighbors in other countries and we shake our heads at their corruption. We think about their lack of insight. We look to our neighbors to the south and we laugh at their political situation. But is the Lord roaring at us? Is it time for us to wake up? Are we being called to examine our reality? For the people in Amos's day, the reality is that they were dying physically and spiritually. And so Amos begins chapter five with fallen no more to rise is made in Israel. Here we have another image. The Lord wants to be the gentle, caring and loving husband of his people, but Israel doesn't want a husband. She's refusing God's hand, his protection and his love. And thus Amos presents the image of the people dying as a maiden and alone without community, forsaken without anyone to help her. Amos shares this funeral dirge with a catch in his voice. If we listen, perhaps we can hear God crying for his people. And so Amos calls the people first to their rather unhappy reality. And what about us? Are we in danger of judgment and death because we're refusing to listen and because we're living in denial of our reality? Fortunately, Amos doesn't leave things at the funeral. He offers hope. He says to the people, you know what? there's still time to respond. And so number two, we're called to repentance. Amos says, the Lord is saying, seek me and live. When the lion roars, the pride responds and gathers together. The Lord longs to see the people return and the word repentance means turn around. Stop going your own way and come and return to the Lord your God. The people of Amos' day think they are following God because they're worshiping God at all the local shrines. There's Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. Bethel means house of God, and this is where Jacob had the ladder of the angels going up and down. At Bethel, God gives a new identity and a religious system to his people, a reminder. Gilgal, that's the place where Joshua built a 12-stone commemoration when the people of Israel crossed the Jordan. 
Gilgal reminds the people that they are God's possession. The land is theirs, and God has given them a political system. This is where the first king, King Saul, was crowned or anointed. And then we have Beersheba, another important site. Abraham was told of Beersheba, God is with you and in all that you do. Isaac had a vision of Beersheba of God's presence, and Jacob was told at Beersheba that it was okay to go to Israel that God would provide. So Beersheba reminds people of God's presence and care for them economically and socially. So the majority of the people who are worshiping God at, these at all these shrines assumed that they were okay. Amos tells them that they can go to these places and have these religious experiences, but it's not the shrines or the experiences. It's not the places or the patriarchs that are significant. It's not because you have a common history. What is significant is because at these places, people encountered the living God. Don't seek an experience. Seek Yahweh. Seek the Lord, and then you will live because God promises life to those who seek him. So first, there was a call to reality. Second, there was a call to repentance. And now there's three called to renewal. And so Amos repeats the cry in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live. In verses 8 to 9, people give the, re the people a reason why. Because of God's greatness. God is the creator, the creator of the galaxies and the constellations. Pleiades and Orion are the constellations that mark the change of the seasons. So God controls the passage of time. Amos says that God controls the day turning the night and then the night turning into morning. He's strong enough to control the chaos of the sea. He controls historical changes when the strong and the fortress fall. When we encounter God, we discover that the Lord has the power to bring forth renewal in every level of society. And so Amos says when we encounter God, things change. Things change in our system of justice because God brings forth righteousness and encourages truth-telling. In our systems of economics, or God encourages systems of care, taxes that are fair, equitable. The poor are not abused. In our morality, God brings forth a recognition of righteousness. Transgressions are acknowledged. In our social systems, People are free to speak out and point out the wrongs. In evil times, Amos says, people are afraid to speak out because the reprisals are too great and they fear what they might face. So Amos tells the people of Israel, I know you have not met God yet because your corporate life does not show signs of renewal. Instead, the people are trying to work their way into God's favor through their religious observance. But the Lord does not rejoice in religious services and celebrations. And so life in the land of Israel in 762 BC does not show evidence that God is in their midst. And that's why all their fine houses and beautiful gardens and vineyards 
do not provide them any satisfaction. The key is that they need to encounter the living God. Fortunately, God's not yet finished calling his people, and there's yet hope for repentance, renewal, and transformation. And so four, we're called to complete reorientation. We're transformed when we truly encounter the living God, and once again, Amos repeats his phrase, seek good, seek God, and not evil, that you may live. And here, God is pictured as the God of hosts. So the Lord is the Lord who, who roars. The Lord is the Lord who is in control. This is not a God who's waiting to destroy and judge. But Amos says this is a God who's the Lord of hosts, is powerful and mighty. And yet in verse 15, he says, and yet God is gracious and God will save. The people have been filling themselves with false hopes. They keep saying, when the day of the Lord comes, when everything's finished, God's going to be on our side because we deserve it. They think that their possessions prove that. But Amos says, actually, even your possessions are going to rise up and bite you. When we choose our own selfish ends, the natural consequences of our choices turns out to be darkness, sorrow, and fear. When we try to seek only what is best for ourselves as individuals, we end up using up all our resources. The end is darkness and destruction. When we're selfish, we refuse to share, and we experience loneliness and sorrow. When we try to solve our own problems and hoard what we need for our own survival, we become fearful. Who's going to come and take what I have? God is not a menacing God pronouncing judgment. Rather, God is simply revealing the natural consequences when each individual seeks his or her own selfish pleasure. But God saves us from the consequences of ourselves. God saves us through a reorientation that is empowered by God's grace and God's grace alone. And so the Lord creates within his people a different orientation. And God's vision is that justice will roll down like water and that righteousness will become an everlasting stream, bubbling up, running forward, filling things, provided, providing nourishment. You see, righteousness is not simply following laws, but righteousness is about right-relatedness. And when people are right-related to God and one another, then justice will spring forth. God is not looking for moral rigidity. A moral society tends to be an arrogant society. Righteousness leads to humility. And God is looking for a people who will accept his grace. Fortunately, we don't live in 762 BC, but we live in 2019. Jesus, God in flesh, has come, lived, died, and emerged in resurrection. In Jesus, 
there is life and life abundant. In Jesus, we discover this right relatedness to God, and then God grants us the Spirit of God so that we might discover right relatedness and unity with one another. We cannot reorient ourselves, but in Jesus Christ, individuals and whole societies can discover life and hope and transformation. And so transformation has begun. When you look around the world, you recognize, yes, transformation has started. We now shudder at the idea of slavery. We seek to end abuse. We long to see everyone fed, clothed, housed, and educated. These are all images of God's kingdom beginning to emerge. Right relationships, a world that is characterized by truth and by justice. But obviously we're not there yet. Some days it actually feels like we're losing ground. But fortunately, the Lord has not given up on the world and he's calling the church. He's calling us to leave our individualism and participate in Jesus' life so that we might bear witness to the further coming of the kingdom. So how do we respond to Amos this morning? Perhaps you're rejoicing, and this is a bit of a downer, but if you're here and you're rejoicing, that's a good thing. God is the God of joy. If you are rejoicing because life is going wonderfully well, praise and thank God for all that you have and for what's happening, and invite others to join with you in celebration. And then ask, how might you how might God use you in this time of goodness so that you can give and you can be involved in seeking justice for others? And in moments of quiet, allow a little bit of sadness because you know that what you're experiencing is only a touch of the kingdom. And the Lord longs to bring more reconciliation, more hope, more goodness, more transformation to our culture. Perhaps this morning you are despondent because you are on the receiving end of injustice. What do you do? Seek help. Try out, cry out to God this morning because he is the God who listens to those who are oppressed. So in your agony, go to God. I have some dear friends who are going through some ex extremely painful times right now as, as his life hangs in the balance. And there are times that we simply groan because we don't know how to pray. In Romans 8 and 26, we're told that the Spirit of, of God groans in prayer for us. Just as God and Amos wept over the people of Israel long ago, the Lord continues to lament for our cultures today. But even in your lament, in a moment of quiet, allow a little room for hope because we're seeing only a glimpse of the Lord and of his kingdom. And one day we will experience reconciliation and healing. Fortunately for us, Amos ends the book with a word of hope 
Amos chapter 9, verses 13 to 15 say, The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall overtake the one who reaps, and the treader of grapes the one who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall never again be plucked up out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord. The message of Amos ends with a word of hope that comes directly from the Lord our God. So how will we respond today as we listen to the grace of God and as we hear that lion's roar? Will we allow ourselves to become more aware of our reality, both the bad and the good? Will we respond to God in repentance, be willing to turn away from our own plans in order to follow Jesus more completely? Will we ask for renewal for ourselves, for our congregations, for the greater church, for our nations, for the world? Will we participate in the Lord's plan to reorient us as the church so that we together might bear witness to the coming of God's kingdom and the doing of God's will rather than our own? This morning when I got up and I was thinking through this, I thought maybe we shouldn't be talking about reorientation, but maybe we should be talking about it's time for another reformation. We don't want to be just cultural observers, but it's time for the church to become culture makers, to allow God to help us see, but to take action to challenge and encourage change. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, picks up the image of the lion, and it's already been alluded to this morning. In Revelation 5, we get a glimpse of the throne room of heaven. The writer is told, look, look, and you'll see the lion. But when he looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, a lamb who was slaughtered but who now lives, Jesus, the lamb and the lion. The lamb who died but the lion who roars and calls. C.S. Lewis reminds us that God is not a tame lion, then we shouldn't be a tame church. Sometimes it appears that the Lord has abandoned us to figure out life on our own. But remember, things are not what they seem. And Amos reminds us that the Lord is still at work. The Lord calls us to come to experience grace and receive life, to come and participate with him as he continues to bring forth a transformed world, a world in which we long to live, a world of right relatedness, a world of justice, of freedom and of hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have roared. We have come. We have come in repentance for all that we have left undone. We have come through your grace, and we thank you that now we experience life, your life. And so we pray. We pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven for the honor and glory of your name, amen.